Open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter number three, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come the last day scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. I'm going to stop right there for the moment. Second Peter is an interesting letter, as, of course, I could say that about any book of the Bible. But for different reasons, each book of the Bible is, uh, is interesting. And this is an exciting chapter. Uh, but as difficult as it is to do, I, I want to say something kind of unusual. I don't want you to get lost in the details of this entire chapter this morning. Now, let me qualify that by saying that this verse and every verse ought to be studied in detail and in the context. But I want you to notice verse number 5 is my text this morning, and this is where I want our focus to be. It says, For this they willingly are ignorant of. Now, out of necessity, of course, we have to, we have to look at the verses before and the verses that come after that. But this is where I want you to, to keep your focus. It's talking about those who who are willingly, that is, intentionally ignorant. Now, the first question that comes to your mind is, why in the world would anyone want to ignore the facts and be willfully ignorant? Uh, You know, why would you want to close your eyes to the truth? Why would you want to embrace that which is false? I mean, why would you do something so foolish as that and especially when all of the evidence is against you, and whenever the subject matter is so very important as this. Remember, he will be talking here in this chapter about the coming of the Lord, and it couldn't be any more important than that. And he's been describing the horrible world that these people lived in and the great difficulties that they were going through and in the light of all of that, he, he sounds out a word of assurance that Christ is coming again. And these people are willingly ignorant of that fact. Now, I want you to notice their assertion. Notice here in the last part of verse number 4, they assert this, that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So in keeping with the context, you know, we have to point out that this is in reference to the coming of the Lord. 
And what they're doing is mocking the holy prophets of God and the apostles. They're, they're mocking them. Let me tell you, it's a dangerous thing for us to, to make light of or to mock the Word of God. In fact, the very last book of the Bible tells us, you know, that if we are to add to or take away from the Word of God, you know, our name would not be in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, there is a curse placed upon those that tamper with the Word of God. We are to accept it exactly as it is written. All of these years, the prophets, one after another, century through century, have come onto the scene, and they have proclaimed the Word of God. And now these people, those of whom Peter is speaking, are mocking those holy prophets and the apostles. And you remember that the apostles had apostolic authority to speak on the Lord's behalf until the completion of the Bible, and they were no longer needed after the Bible was completed. But up until then, they had the authority as they went about from church to church to establish different matters. And they're mocking that. But notice not only their assertion, look at verse number 4 again, and here we see the absurdity of this. Notice what they say in verse number 4. They said, where is the promise of His coming? Now, get this, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, let's give them a little bit of credit here. Even these people of whom he's speaking here, believe in creation rather than evolution. I mean, that puts them miles ahead of a lot of people that think they know so much because they at least confess that that there is a God and that it is God who has created the heavens and the earth. But notice the, the absurdity of this. They said, all things continue beginning of creation they couldn't be any more wrong than that i mean that's like saying nothing has ever changed since the creation of the world it's same old same old every day century after century everything has remained the same so peter appeals to history to prove that that wasn't true and here we see that it reminds them that the old world that then was was destroyed By the flood. If you think everything has continued since it was, just look back. And we can look around today at the different stratus of rock in different places and find the fossils and the different layers of sedimentation and so forth. And we can, we can tell that there was a worldwide flood. Just, I mean, that's a no brainer. In addition to the Bible affirming that fact that the whole world was covered with water. We have the scientific proof. And yet there are those who will reject all of the evidence. And so here we have a people to whom Peter is speaking about that's acting as though this never happened. And let me tell you, folks, that's the best way I know to describe it. That's insane. To have all of the evidence before you and then to turn around and deny that it ever happened. Look, Every, every Jew certainly believed in the creation and everyone in that day was familiar with the flood. 
And yet they deny that it ever happened. They said, no, no, everything is discontinued as it were. So they're not only refusing to accept the truth, they are mocking those who do. That's a common tactic of those, you know, that aren't smart enough to make a good argument. They're not smart enough, you know, to present the facts and to look at things in a reasonable way. Why, uh, they mock and they slander uh, the opposing party. Kind of sounds familiar today, doesn't it? I mean, just having an opinion about something doesn't make it a fact. Now, notice their ambition, and this gets down to answering that question as to why in the world would somebody be willingly ignorant? And he says here in verse number 3, notice, walking after their own lust. That tells us what their aim was. I mean, you know, it's one thing to be ignorant, and it's another thing to want to be ignorant. Ignorance isn't a sin. In and of itself, it's not a sin. Every little baby is, you know, born into this world, and they are ignorant of certain things. In all of our lifetime, we remain ignorant about certain things. There are none of us that understand everything about anything. We're all, we all have a measure of ignorance. But there's a difference between being ignorant and ignoring the facts or denying the facts. It says here, of this they are willingly ignorant. It's not only dangerous, that's sinful, folks. And we have no excuse today whenever we have in our hand the very Word of God with abundant evidence to prove that this is a book man would not have written if he could, and he wouldn't, he could not if he would. I mean, it's impossible for a man to ever compose something like this. If he had the ability, he wouldn't do it. And we come along, and we, and we deny the very things that God has declared. It's dangerous and it's sinful. But why would they do it? Well, here's the explanation. Because they're walking after their own lust. But why would they deny the facts, the God-given facts? Because they get in the way of what they want to do. I read something the other day that I, if I can find it, uh, I scratched it down. Aldous Huxley, one of the most, one of the most famous atheists ever, and uh, I think he died in around 1960 something. But he had written many books and debated all around the world his arguments, you know, against God and. Uh, promoting his atheism. And I, I want you to listen to this quote that he made about, uh, about there being no God and no Creator. Quote, I have motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. For me, the philosophy of meaningless was essentially an instrument of liberation, comma, sexual, and political. 
Do you get that? You know what he's saying? He is saying that we have to get rid of the idea of God so we can do as we please and not live with the fear of accountability. That's exactly what he's saying. And that takes us right back to what Peter says about these people here in verse 3, that they are walking according to their own lust. And that explains for us why these people voluntarily are ignorant of truths that are evident to everybody else in the world. And they deny it. And all of this just goes to show how sinfully selfish the natural man is. I mean, rather than confess and commit to the Creator, sinful man turns to his own way. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone, where? To his own way. That's the philosophy that the average person today lives by, that I'm going to do as I please. Nobody's going to dictate to me how I live. This is my life and it's nobody's business. And they are so intent on pleasing the flesh that nothing else matters. And that's, that's the way these people are. They spend their lives pursuing the very things that will destroy them. You can have biblical proof or scientific proof or whatever, have all of the evidence in the world that what they're doing is detrimental to their health and well-being, and they laugh at you and do it anyway. I have on my computer emails, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but Emails that I have written that are quite lengthy to people asking questions about certain things. People that, in fact, are at this very moment suffering the effects of their sins. And at one time had an interest in, in changing. And paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, I just laid it all out what the Bible teaches and what common sense would have you to do. And yet, because people choose to walk according to their own lust, they throw all of that aside. And I've got to tell you, it's heartbreaking for me sometimes, and I do it intentionally to look back to look back at some of those things that I had written with trying to help somebody and to think that they totally ignored the help of somebody that loved them dearly and determined that they were going to walk according to their own lust. So this is the ambition of these people that we're talking about that have asserted that everything's just continuing as it were since the world began. And of course, as you know, the flood was God's expression of displeasure upon the sinfulness of that time. It was God's judgment upon a sinful world because it says that every thought of their heart was only evil continually. And finally God said, I've had enough of this. God chose to save a seed out of the human race as it were through the ark and for the rest of them He destroyed them. And even after all of that, 
sinful man did not learn the lesson that there is indeed a God to whom we are accountable. In order to walk, to fulfill the lust of their flesh, they deny all of the evidence, all of history, and the very Word of God itself. Now, notice their argument again in verse number 4. Here's their argument. We know what their ambition is, but here's the argument, and I guess you could say that in this we also see their arrogance. Where is the promise of His coming? You know, mockery has been going on as far back as you can go in history. They don't have any way to disprove the claims of the prophets. So they mock them. Where is the promise of His coming? I mean, it's not going to happen. But the writer of Hebrews says, He that shall come will come and will not tarry. That's what the Word of God asserts, and they are mocking that. You know, denying the facts doesn't change the facts at all. Just because you want to believe something doesn't mean that it's so. And here we see the arrogance of these people to set themselves against the holy men of old that wrote the Word of God and the evidence of history that proves that God is displeased with their sinful lifestyle. And they're mocking that. Now, all of this is well and good whenever we look back and think about the day in which Peter was living and what he was trying to accomplish and what have you, but it really means nothing as far as we are concerned unless we make an application. I said in the beginning, you know, I don't want us to get lost in the details, and I just I find myself on the very verge of, of doing that because I, there's such a desire to read on through this entire chapter at the, at the things that he says here. But again, I want you to keep your focus on the fact that these people choose to be intentionally ignorant. And by the way, that's more common today than you might think it is. You might think, oh, well, that's just them back then. No, it goes on today. People today are intentionally ignorant of several different things. By the way, it might be of creation itself. I mean, you know, there are those that would declare, well, no, I believe in evolution as though they had the scientific facts all on their side. Look, I... That is so stupid, it makes no sense at all. I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. I mean, that would be like saying, you know, I guess everybody has a junk drawer at home. Uh, uh, you know, you throw all of the odds and ends and nuts and bolts and this and that and different things, you know, in a in a certain drawer at home. And, uh, and to imagine one day you go in there and pull it out a little bit too far and it falls in the floor and all of those pieces of plastic and metal and everything else falls into the floor and become a Rolex watch. I mean, who in the world would believe something like that? And who in the world has enough faith to believe in such a thing as evolution when, and no missing links, anything else, and yet there are people that are willingly ignorant of creation and embrace the theory of evolution the same thing's true regarding the flood same thing's true regarding the red sea 
And a lot of people say, you know, that that wouldn't be possible for all of those Israelites to cross the Red Sea. But they did. And that's what the Bible declares. We think about Jonah and, you know, the whale, and people want to argue about that. And they're willingly ignorant of that fact. I'm like a little boy, you know, that says, you know, I would believe it at the Bible if the Bible says that Jonah swallowed the whale. Well, I would too because the Bible has proven itself to be true. And what seems to be impossible to you and I in the natural mind sometimes gets in the way of us being willing to confess that we don't really have all of the facts like we think that we do. And so they're willingly ignorant. They're willingly ignorant of, of the birth of Christ. They refuse to believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because it's unscientific. So, you know, they throw that doctrine out. It might be the resurrection of Christ. In this case, it has to do with the second coming of Christ. You'll remember that whenever the Lord met there in the upper room with His disciples, He gathered that little group together just, just before He was to be taken and crucified. And He said in chapter number 14, You believe in God, believe also in Me. He said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Amen. And we go to the book of Acts, and this is after Christ, after Christ has already been resurrected from the grave, and He is standing there again with those men just before He ascends into heaven and gives them a reassurance that I'll be back. As He is ascending into heaven, the angels appear, and they announce... This same Jesus that you see go away in heaven shall so come again in like manner. And this is the fact that these people are willingly ignorant of. They have no argument against it whatsoever by way of offering any proof for their theory and their ideas. They just choose to deny it because they don't want to believe it. They're intentionally ignorant of it. Let me tell you, if that describes you, ask yourself this question, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? You know, to say, well, I, I just don't believe the Bible's really the Word of God, or I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe Jesus died for my sins. I don't believe Jesus was raised from the grave. I don't believe Jesus coming back to you. What if you're wrong? And now let me tell you, you are wrong. Whenever Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, I, I can't even imagine how many different times I've read these verses at funeral services, but these are truths that we need to be familiar with, not only at a funeral service, but every Every day of the year. Listen to what he says. First Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And we've been talking about those that are willingly ignorant. They choose to be. And Paul is saying, look, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
concerning them which are asleep. That is, those that have died. And he's talking to Christian people about Christian people. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Not something we heard in the, on the grapevine. It's not something that he conjured up in his mind. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then, and then he adds, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What a great comfort that is to know that our loved ones who died in the Lord, those that knew the Lord, trusted the Lord, to know that there's coming a glorious day that we're going to be reunited with them. Why in the world would someone choose to be willingly ignorant? Now listen, I've given you the truth this morning, but you're free to believe whatever you want. God doesn't force you to believe one thing or the other. You're free to believe whatever you want this morning. But you are not free from the consequences of your choice. You're not free from that. Because our choices, our decisions have consequences. Our decision determines our destiny. In the book of Hosea, the Lord said concerning Israel, He said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. It's not like that they were that they were ignorant because they didn't have the truth. They had the truth. God had given them His Word. And He, he said, you've rejected Me. And now the result of your lack of knowledge of your ignorance is destruction. Now here's the bottom line, and I'm through. Are you willing to accept God's Word as the truth and conduct yourself accordingly? Are you? Think about it. Are you willing to accept God's Word as the truth? Are you willing to conduct yourself accordingly? Well, if not, you better consider the consequences. And by the way, if you choose to reject the Bible as the truth, what is the alternative? What are the options? Where are you going to go? If you walk away from the Bible. You see, if we reject the Bible, then we are left here in a world without any sure standard of right and wrong. And that leaves us then free to just do whatever we please. Well, we're kind of doing that anyway, aren't we, as a whole. But we're doing it because we rejected the truth of God's Word. So if you reject the Bible, what are you going to put in its place? 
Whose idea will you embrace, Huxley? Who are you going to follow after? You're going to follow someone. What makes you such an expert as to say that you're right and the Bible is wrong? I'll tell you what, if you, if you look back through history and study the lives of all of the great men and women that have lived and see what they believe as a whole, and I know you, know you might come up with some exception, but when you think about the character of the different people that have ever lived and what they thought about the Bible, I'll stack them up against that entire bunch that says there is no such thing as absolute truth. Those who reject the Bible. I mean, there is a huge difference in the character of the people that receive it and those who reject it. Between those who choose to follow after the commandments of God and those who choose to walk after the lust of the flesh. Oh, Huxley, Huxley... He was honest about this. I have motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. For me, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essential to, as an instrument of liberation, sexually, politically. Now, I got rid of God. I'm free to do whatever I want. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imagination. And consequently, they gave their hearts over to do whatever they wanted to do. But here, here's the consequences of that. He says in the same chapter that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You see, sin has its own built-in punishment. You choose to reject the Word of God and pursue the, the lust of the flesh, and God says, okay, have at it. And He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that were not convenient. Where are you going to go if you don't turn to the Lord? He is your only hope this morning, the only hope of salvation, the only hope for satisfaction. He is our only hope. And thank God for those who know Him. Paul says, our blessed hope is the soon appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we wring our hands and we fret and we worry about the condition of this old world and we think, oh dear God, we've got to get our political party, you know, in the majority and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. It's kind of like the old saying, we're rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. What difference will it make when it's all said and done? You're not going to save the world, but thank God if you know Christ is your Savior one of these days, one of these days, you're going to be delivered from this world. And listen, I'm not through. And then Christ is going to come and set up His kingdom upon this earth.
Amen. There'll be no more sinking ships, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. In that day, peace shall flow like a river. In that day, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. In that day, there will be peace finally at long last because the Prince of Peace will have come. Don't you dare be willingly ignorant of things that are so very obvious. Jesus is Lord and Savior, and He proved it when He got up out of the grave. Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, how we thank You, Lord, for the blessed assurance that we sang about earlier. To know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there are irrefutable facts that we can depend upon, that we can know without any doubt whatsoever that Jesus Christ is Your dear Son, who was offered up as the sacrifice for our sins, who promised to save all of those who would trust Him. And we're so thankful for the, for the assurance of salvation. And I pray this morning, Lord, for that, that person, some man or woman, a boy or girl, whoever it is, that have never put their trust in Christ, never accepted Him as their Lord and Savior. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes and open the door of their heart that they might receive Him today and trust Him to save their soul. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now as we lift our voice in song together, God is speaking to your heart. Would you come? Just as I am without one dream, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou didst me come to me, O of God I have a heavy burden on their heart about maybe it's some need in their life or, or maybe it's somebody that they're concerned about and, and, and to see them do business with God at a time like this and say you, you know it just might be somebody you're here you're a Christian you're living your life in the will of God you're doing everything that you know to do but maybe the best thing you could do is just get on your knees and Say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done. I'm not asking for anything. I, I, just, I just come to thank you. Some way or another, we live in a day and age where we feel uncomfortable doing something like that. And I can remember looking back nearly 50 years ago in a little old hillside in Fairgrove, Missouri, and we'd started a church and meeting under a brush ar arbor and if we didn't have somebody saved every week, I, and without any prompting from me, I, people started getting concerned. Something's really wrong here. Nobody got saved last week. Nobody got saved the week before. Now, we live in a day and age where we're kind of comfortable with it being like that. We have to ask ourselves, what in the world is going on? Why don't we see more souls saved and added to the church? Well, 
Maybe it's because we don't care enough to really pray and to get a burden on our heart and to be concerned about it. Last thing I would ever do is try to play on the emotions of people and get them to come down the aisle to the altar just based on their emotions. I, I don't do stuff like that. It's the truth of God that ought, ought to move our heart. And to think about those that, you know, are people that you love dearly, and yet they're just one heartbeat, one breath away from a devil's hell because they've never been saved. We need to be burdened to the point of prayer about that. Let's sing another verse, Brother Nolan. Joy.